You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. James did a really good job of reminding you guys to subscribe to the podcast yesterday when he did the open. I'm going to try to use that lesson and remind everybody listening, go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. You should be able to find us there. Follow us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL at James Rapine at Lockdown Bengals. Really important that you get that last one, especially because we've got a mailbag coming up tomorrow. And if you want us to take your questions for that mailbag, you'll need to send your questions and reply to a tweet that comes from the Lockdown Bengals Twitter account. James, today we were going to talk to Doug Farrar from USA Today. Unfortunately, Doug had to postpone. We will have that coming up for you early next week. We're going to talk with Doug a little bit about the Bengals scheme. He was watching William Jackson for a free agency series that he's working on. And he tweeted randomly something to the effect of Lou Anarumo's scheme in the back half of this defense is a disaster. I told him, hey, come tell us what you mean. And he said, okay, I'll do that. Unfortunately, something came up for Doug today, but we will have him back next week. So we're pivoting, James. Instead of talking to Doug, we're going to talk about Elizabeth Blackburn and Brian Callahan. We're going to spend some time a little bit later in the show reflecting on our conversation with Brian Callahan, what some of the big takeaways were. But let's get started, James, by talking about Elizabeth Blackburn. All the rage in social media right now, the Bengals website has featured her twice. In fact, she wrote a piece for Bengals.com. She called it Chapter 2, The Vision by Elizabeth Blackburn. And what Elizabeth Blackburn is about seems to really be energizing the fan base. I love this. And I think a lot of fans love this. And it's it's pretty simple. Uh, on the, the surface, when I take a 10,000-foot view, and we're going to talk about some of the details, but no matter what Mike Brown does, there are going to be certain people that are critical of him because you can't hide the past 30 years since he's taken over, right? Katie Blackburn has been in somewhat control and in power over the past decade, specifically the past five years. She's definitely had a hand in decision-making along with her husband, Troy. And so having a new face, having a young, fresh face to help get out there and, and lead the organization, and I say that in quotes because we don't exactly know what Elizabeth's role is, I think from a marketing standpoint, from a uh, it's just it's genius. It's very, very smart to do because they're going to have new uniforms. You have this really talented quarterback in Joe Burrow and you need to flip the script and and move the the story forward. And so at the bare minimum, before we get into any of the details, I think it's a really good way to introduce her to the fan base because she is making some changes and market themselves better, which is something they've struggled to do. They're. Putting her at the forefront from from a marketing perspective, like you're talking about, I find that to be just fascinating that here's this woman. She she's part of the family, obviously, mm-hmm. right? She she went to Dartmouth, she worked for Bain, she came up through, you know, management consulting, working with data, working in a field where deliverables are of the utmost importance. And she talked about that in her piece. But from a marketing perspective, to see someone who's coming from you know, private equity management consulting and, and now coming into a 
a different industry, the football industry, her family's business. And the energy she's brought is really interesting. This is a hire that when they made it last year, they, they brought her on. She totally changed social media for the Bengals. And she talked about this in the piece she wrote too. They brought graphic and video creation in-house for the first time she wrote, which was driven at giving fans a better experience, better content on social media. That was her baby. And by all measures, it was a big success. I think that's a lot easier than running a football team. Not to say that it's easy, but running a football team well is, is obviously very challenging. It's a zero-sum game in the way that social media is not a zero-sum game. Every team can be really good at social media. Only a couple teams can be really good at football every year. So for me, it'll be interesting to watch her trajectory. Because when she came into the organization, it looked like a move that was, hey, we're going to bring you in and eventually you're going to be doing what your mom does, doing what Katie Blackburn does. And so watching how she moves up and takes on more visibility and more responsibility will be very interesting to see how that happens and how that correlates with on-field success in addition to all the good things that she's doing off the field. And I think that she offers such a great perspective because she's 28 years old. She's a year younger than me. She probably vaguely remembers the 90s, but knows the perception knows what the early 2000s were like. Her earliest memories of the Bengals are probably Jeff Blake and Darnay Scott and Carl Pickens and Corey Dillon in bad teams, bad teams. She probably doesn't even remember Boomer Esiason in 97. And that's okay because she has that perspective. She remembers how painful 2005 was, 2009. Obviously, the five straight playoff defeats from 2011 to 2015. She has that perspective. And I think that's the thing that a lot of fans feel that that is missing with the Bengals, right? Oh, Mike Brown doesn't care. He just runs it like a business. He doesn't feel pain when they lose. And I, I've never bought that. Like, I think he does want to win. And that's something that she reiterated a ton in her piece on, on Wednesday. And th- that part of it as well, I think, is is important because you want to you want a, a fresh perspective. You want to bring in this fresh face that's energized and motivated and and paid her dues. It's not like she's just 21 and hasn't done things to get to this point, right? And hasn't worked hard. She has. And and you hope that it pays off and you hope that she feels the way we do, that they need to be more aggressive in free agency and they need to address offensive line and all those things. Not saying that she's going to have input on the personnel, but she might have those same feelings. And, and if you're inside those walls at Paul Brown Stadium, there's a chance you can have an impact on that side of things as well, even if that's not her primary responsibility. And I will say this to her credit, even though she's not going to be the one calling agents, I, I think, I assume her role isn't, hey, <laughs> Joe Tooney's agent, I don't, I don't know what his name is. I'm sorry if I should. Can, can we get Joe in for, for some negotiations to see the stadium while we work with you on a contract, you know? <laughs> I don't think that's her, but she does seem to be very in touch with the fans. And Mm -hmm. you see this when she's talking about honoring the past. She made a big point to make sure that, hey, we want to honor our past. We want to honor our players. I hear you fans. I agree with you. We need to do a better job of that. That's a whole section in chapter two, the, the vision. She also talks a lot about the, the season ticket holder experience and improving the, the fan experience of Paul Brown Stadium. I think this is going to be a major point of emphasis for the Bengals this offseason. 
So while we usually focus on what happens between the lines and don't usually talk as much about some of those other factors with being a Cincinnati Bengals fan with what the team is doing, it looks like this is going to be something that we're following closely this offseason. In addition to the football moves, we're going to keep an eye on what's going on with the fan experience, what's going on with the ring of honor, what the Bengals are trying to do to win back their fans that they've slowly but surely seemed to lose in the last 10 years. Coming up next, we'll revisit our talk with Brian Callahan and talk about some of the major takeaways, some of the interesting reactions that some of our listeners had and pointed out. It was a lot of fun to talk to Callahan, and it'll probably be a lot of fun to think about some of the major takeaways from our conversation. That's coming up next. The weather's starting to get a little warmer in Cincinnati this week, which was certainly welcome. I wore shorts today, but you know what I don't want? I don't want to get stuck on the side of the road, regardless of the temperature out there. And I make sure rockauto.com is the place I go for all of my auto parts needs, whether it's something really small like windshield washer fluid. I know you've used that a lot over the past couple of months, or maybe you need to change your filters or anything in between, rockauto.com can help you stay on the road. Make sure you go there right now. Check out all of the parts they have to offer. You're talking about 300 different car manufacturers. So it doesn't matter if you drive a Benz, a Bentley, a Kia, a Ford, a Toyota, a Honda, it doesn't matter. They have the part you're looking for. Check out all of the parts that they have for your car or truck and save money doing it. You don't have to mask up and go to the big box store. You can shop from the comfort of your own home. So go there right now, rockauto.com, right? Locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. If you missed our three-part series with Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, I recommend it. I say go back and listen to him. We started it last week. Episode uh, three or part three of that series dropped on Monday, and it was just uh, a really good time talking with Brian uh, about all things Bengals. And Jake, the one thing, well, there's a bunch of things that stood out, but the the thing I want to start with, because we're in draft mode, we do mock draft Monday or mock draft Wednesday this week, every single week, because everyone wants to talk about the different prospects and players the Bengals can add. And when he was describing what they look for in a wide receiver, I don't know about you. I got a few messages about that. I saw some people talking about it and it was, oh, well, that can't be Jamar Chase. And that was after part two because he was talking about speed and downfield threat. And and we could talk about that in a second. And, And then I think part three dropped and it was all that that is Jamar Chase and so I think that the deciphering between what he was saying even though I don't think he was really trying to hide anything at all and that's why it was was really interesting to hear from him that part of it was fun to me because there there are listeners that were trying to to break the code or crack the code and figure out which wide receiver prospects he was talking about and I don't think he really gave anything away I mean there are certain traits that everybody knows this team needs But Mm -hmm. I also asked him to describe essentially a prototypical wide receiver when I asked him, hey, who's the perfect wide receiver if you could add a guy to go with T and Boyd with what you've got in Joe Burrow? That was a question, right? And if you give a guy an open floor like that to just talk about an ideal wide receiver, of course you're going to talk about speed and getting separation and, and challenging defenses vertically when you have the year that you're coming off of, when they just couldn't get anything going downfield. Maybe Brandon Allen was their best deep ball quarterback, right? And so 
when when that's the case, of course you're going to talk about the speed, the the downfield stuff. And the most interesting thing to me about it was he's starting to talk about things like your your football intelligence, your ability to read coverages and figure out where to go on these option routes or figure out how you need to adjust your route and see the defense the way the quarterback does. And the reason that was interesting to me is because there were a few plays off the top of my head that I can remember where the throw looks inaccurate from Joe Burrow, maybe to AJ Green, maybe to a different receiver, right? But the one example I'm thinking of specifically is to AJ Green on a post. And on that particular play, it looks like an awful throw. But really what happens is, is Tyler Boyd misreads things and that forces AJ to alter his route. And, and so this is the, the waterfall effect. That's not what I want. The domino effect of when, when one wide receiver sees the defense a little bit wrong or, or makes a bad split second decision about, oh, that linebacker sat, so I should adjust my route this way instead of that way. That can sometimes push another receiver because he sees where you're coming and he needs to adjust the spacing because he thinks, oh, Tyler Boyd's getting way too close. He's bringing his defender into the play. And then AJ adjusts his route that's when you start to have problems. So when he's talking about how fast Joe Burrow processes both the offense in the classroom and on the field and needing a wide receiver that can keep up, I think that was the most interesting thing he said. And as fans, it's very, very challenging to know, or fans or media really, it's very, very challenging to know, you know, what wide receivers coming out of this draft class are, are going to be the smartest, right? How do you How do you evaluate that from tape? It's challenging. It is. It's a huge challenge. And the the great news for the Bengals is they have the ultimate guy to break down the top receiver. If anyone knows how intelligent or not intelligent Jamar Chase is as a route runner and recognizing things, it's Joe Burrow. And so he might be in on him. He might be out on him. I assume he's in on him. And I, I think he's gone out of his maybe not gone out of his way because he's been asked about it but has praised Chase more than he needed to when he has praised him. So we'll see if that comes true. But you're right. How do you evaluate that with all of these other guys? And you talk about instant impact, and that's what you want. If they draft a receiver, not if, they are going to draft a receiver, at least one with with their eight picks. They might draft two, one late in the draft. Can they have an impact? And you're hoping so because this offense needs that, especially if, and we're assuming Green's gone, Ross is gone, Erickson could be gone. I mean, the wide receiver room is going to look much, much different than it did in 2020. And so uh, I, I did think that was interesting. And the the intelligence part, especially on a Zoom, because I don't know about you, actually, I know, I'm sure you do this. You, you have a bunch of virtual meetings for work, right? Your day job. Me too. I act like I'm paying attention and, and can fake uh, you know, Zoom interviews all the time and in Zoom stuff, right? Where you're like there, you're on it, but maybe your video's not on and you're walking around and you just have your wireless headphones. You know, at least I've done that before with meetings and stuff. And so not that these players are doing that, but I think it's much easier if you can't meet them in person to to act intelligent almost. It's going to be much harder to to figure out who's ready, who's ready to go and can be plug and play contributors at the next level. I think that Teams will have a much easier job of this than we will. Certainly, anybody who's able to talk to these players, you can ask the questions the right way. And if a player doesn't know what he's talking about, they're going to get exposed. I think that that's something that, I mean, even in your job or my job, 
I mean, in your job, you're the one asking the questions. In my job, if somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer and they really catch me with it, right? And, and these coaches mm-hmm. know how to catch prospects when they get them on a whiteboard, which I think they do. Like they have like grease boards that they use in these Zoom meetings. I think that I think they'll be able to evaluate that sort of thing, at least to some degree, to a similar degree that they usually could. Obviously, there's there's less on field work, which is, I'm sure, a problem. Like they don't get those in-person workouts that they want to get. They don't get the in-person conversations. But, you know, they're going to talk to the coaches. They have their area scouts that are calling all of their connections at the collegiate level to find out how a guy did. And they're going to know, you know, LSU runs a lot of option routes or they're, they're running something really simple to, to keep things easy for these young receivers. They're going to know that. I think that's something that a, a smart or, or highly invested fan could find out too. You could go research and figure out what kind of concepts are in an offense to some degree. It's just a little bit more challenging, right? When that's the quality you're looking for. But regardless, it's it's interesting because of what that tells us about the Bengals offense. They want a guy who's going to be able to deal with those adjustments that they're asking them to make at the NFL level because they have a quarterback who can make those adjustments too. So I'm not sure if Callahan was hinting at Jamar Chase specifically or if there's some other guys in this class that he likes. We actually didn't ask him what receivers he's watched yet. I know that there are some players that are, you know, first round prospects at different positions that he hasn't seen yet. So I don't know if, if he's watched all these guys or not. I don't know if he's hinting at chase specifically, but chase is such a good prospect that I'm fairly certain given his connection with Joe Burrow, the fact that they did work together and they tried to build this offense around Burrow in his in his rookie year to make him comfortable that chase would fit. So I don't think by any means he's excluded Chase. I think he's a very good prospect. I think he's probably going to be the top wide receiver on their board. And we'll just have to see how things fall on draft day if he's even available. And while I'm not sure that Callahan hinted for any specific receiver, I am pretty sure that Callahan hinted pretty strongly that they know the offensive line needs to get better. And they know that the solution isn't necessarily in-house. We'll talk about that part of the conversation coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Whether it's the NFL draft and you think Jamar Chase is going to be the first wide receiver taken, maybe you think it's going to be Devontae Smith. They got NFL prop bets, plus the NBA, college basketball, NHL, all in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They have you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So go there now, betonline.ag. Use promo code Locked On to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag. Use promo code Locked On, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The other thing that stood out to me, probably most, about the the Callahan interview. And it's something small and it's subtle and it's not like he came out and trashed the Bengals offensive line. But I think it's pretty clear that he knows that the Bengals know they need to upgrade there. And it sounds really obvious because it's something we've talked about for a long time. But last year, it didn't feel that way. And it didn't seem that way in the offseason. And their actions back that up. I feel like this year, just going into free agency, going into the draft, they know it's an issue that they need to fix. 
it's kind of in the theme of of the Elizabeth Blackburn stuff we talked about too. There's a lot of air of change, and I feel like there's been some of this for each of the last two years. First, it was a new day. Zach Taylor comes to town. Then it was <laughs> a new day. Joe Burrow comes to town. Now it's just we're overhauling our fan experience. We're rolling out this new face in the front office and we're bringing back a new old offensive line coach. And obviously the Bengals aren't, you know, pumping that in a big way outside of Jeff Hobson on Bengals.com who really thinks highly of, of Frank Pollock. And I think highly of Frank Pollock too. But when we asked Brian Callahan kind of what went wrong and, and why it didn't live up to expectations, and I told him, you know, you guys as a, as a team, as a coaching staff, through the media, everything we heard was you're very confident in your offensive line. Didn't play out that way. What went wrong? And it was interesting to hear his response. You know, he, he talked about injuries maybe a little bit more than some fans would like to hear because injuries happen in the NFL. But he acknowledged that, too. He also acknowledged that there were performance issues. They couldn't get a consistent five guys on the field because, you know, on game day, now suddenly Fred Johnson isn't playing very well. We have to pull him. He's going to get somebody hurt. Or suddenly Mike Jordan, you know, can't play. And they're moving Quentin Spain to tackle to guard and back. I mean, Quentin Spain playing tackle in the first place is, is insane. I remember during the season you told me, yeah, I hear, I, I'm hearing they might play Spain at tackle this week. Yeah. And, and I'm like, come on. No, that Quentin Spain never played tackle in his, in his life, probably since high school. And, and sure enough, they played him at tackle just the way they played John Jerry at tackle last year. So a lot went wrong, obviously, in terms of injuries, in terms of guys not living up to potential. But the, the thing that I thought him admitting that, that I really liked was that, you know, you, you develop this familial relationship with the players, this, this fatherly relationship with the players, that kind of thing. And it's hard. I, I get that it's hard. They're humans. They're people that you work with. And if you're the guy leading a team, a unit of five or, or 10 people, and they're not quite living up to expectations, but they're good people. You know, you, you like hanging out with them. You, you like what they talk about. They just can't quite get it done. That's hard. It's hard to say, you know what? You can't do it. At the NFL level, though, you have to be able to make those hard decisions and I think that when Callahan was talking about, you know, you get new coaching in, you try to develop the guys you have, and you use all the tools you have available to you to get better. I think that reflects really what this team is going to do. They're going to use all the tools they have available to them. And you hope that guys like Joe Tooney or Taylor Moten make it to the market with some people talking today that Joe Tooney, maybe the Patriots try to bring him back. The Patriots do have more cap room than the Bengals, not to scare everybody listening, but I'm just going to throw that out there. And it's certainly possible, right? I mean, if you if you could keep a guy like Tooney and you're the Patriots and you plan on getting insert whatever quarterback they're going to get, maybe you keep Cam or maybe it's Mac Jones or maybe whoever, then why wouldn't you want Joe Tooney? He fits, right? There, there's a reason Bengals fans want him. And so that's going to be the interesting part. And that's, that's the part of f hiring Frank Pollock to me that excites me the most is he's going to have his guys in free agency – that he says, go get him. And it isn't going to just be one guy. He's going to have an outside perspective. This isn't a guy who's been 
inside Paul Brown Stadium for the past decade. He, he's spent a couple years in New York, one year in Cincinnati, and then was in Dallas. So he has a probably a good feel for the veterans he could bring on board and get something out of. And I don't think he's going to be afraid of saying, hey, we're not rolling with this guy again, and we have to upgrade here. And I think that can have an impact as much as him trying to use technique and develop Michael Jordan or try to get the most out of Billy Price. I think him saying, let's go get this guy. Let's go get that guy to help keep Joe Burrow upright. I think that could have an impact. I'm very curious to see what kind of guy is Frank Pollock's guy. I went back and looked at, at the players that he's drafted or acquired when he has been the guy in charge of the offensive line. I think we'll learn a lot about who his guys are and how his evaluation skills are because offensive line coaches around the league aren't always evaluators, right? A lot of times they're just teachers, they're installers. So we're going to learn a little bit about that this offseason because he's going to have an opportunity here, we think, to overhaul this line. So we'll get a much better feel for what kind of guy is a Frank Pollock guy in the trenches. One last thing I want to talk about, James, from our conversation with Brian Callahan taking a big 180 back to day one. He talked about his coaching influences. And before he talked about any of the guys he's worked with in the NFL, like John Gruden, Gary Kubiak, Josh McDaniels, who he mentioned, he talked about all those guys. He talked about his high school football coach. And I was wondering, you know, what high school football coach could be so great that, that he comes first? And I went and looked up Bob Latticer. Bob Latticer, James, get this. He took over a team that in its history of high school football had never had a winning season in 15 seasons. He took them over in 1979. He won 151 straight games from 1992 to 2004. He retired with a career record taking over a team that had never had a winning season of 399, 25, and 3. There have been movies and documentaries and books made about this guy and this team. And when you look at that kind of success, I mean, he's one of the top three, if not the best high school football coach in history. And it makes a lot of sense about why he mentioned Bob Latticer as one of his big coaching influences it's just staggering how successful he was. And I just wanted to share that with all the listeners because I don't know if anyone else went and looked it up. I didn't. And I'm glad you did because that, uh, wow, that that's a crazy record. It's crazy that he won because that's when Callahan was there, by the way. That's right. Brian Callahan never lost a high school football game. How about that? And, and it makes sense when you talk about a guy that's going to change the way you coach or shape the way you coach. He's the most successful coach that, that, that Brian Callahan has ever worked for. I guess John Gruden won a Super Bowl. I got to drop a hot take. And I don't even know if it's a hot take. I kind of think it's just life for uh, for John Gruden. A little overrated. John Gruden, the coach, a little overrated. And, and Brian might not admit, you know, mention it, but I will. I'll go ahead and say it. A little overrated there in Las Vegas. I mean, how good of a coach do you think he is for him to be overrated, though? I think he's a great broadcaster. And I mean, that's but- part of why he's overrated. Do people think he's a great coach? I think some, I mean, certainly the Raiders do. They're paying him. They're paying him. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying here is that he's a hot commodity. He's a big name. He's getting paid at the NFL level. In, in that sense, I could see it. He did win a Super Bowl. 
you can never take that away from him. But I guess the Eagles just fired their their Super Bowl winning coach and their Super Bowl winning regular season quarterback after getting rid of their Super Bowl winning quarterback previously. I don't know. I don't know what teams think of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and coaches anymore, I guess. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're back tomorrow for the weekend mailbag. Get those questions ready. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.